I guess I should just start, huh? Sorry, my, my yeah. brain short-circuited there. Cool. You okay? Great. Uh, sorry. <laughs> mm, whatever, God. America's Widows. Uh, Captain America is a fascist now. Kim, how are you? (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I'm good, you know? Just having a good time making my clickbait. Uh, Hell yeah, yeah. Please pay attention to us. (laughs) Weeding my clickbait plants on my clickbait farm. Yeah! Watered my little clickbaity finds. I have a quick correction to make about something that I said in the previous episode, uh, or mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, I said that the show had a majority black writer's room, and then I corrected myself that it was all written by Malcolm Spellman. It is not <gasps> all written by Malcolm Spellman. I was right the first time. Yeah. So, so yeah, and uh, episodes three and four were actually written by the same writer as John Wick. Cool. So there, that's why the third episode is like that. Derek Colston. Oh wow, according to Wikipedia, his age is 46 and 47? I I only have one age. (laughs) (laughs) Getting back into it. uh, Do you you know what the Zemo cut is? I do not know what the Zemo cut is. Uh, The Zemo cut is a one-hour YouTube video of Daniel Brühl as Zemo doing a little dance on YouTube. Because oh. apparently, this is something that the fans were asking for, as then Marvel were like, sure, here you go. And uh. this feels astroturfed to me. Yeah. Like, why like, why do fans know. want to see Zemo do a little dance? I don't... I mean, Daniel Brühl is a delight. But, like, I, is, uh, I popped is. on that video, and, like, the thing is, it's an hour-long video, but it's just 25 seconds looped. But all the same, I watched <laughs> it for the 25 seconds of it, and I was like, okay, this is fun. <laughs> He's doing a little dance. But, and I said this on Twitter already, the people who are in the marketing department for this show are dead fucking set on marketing this show with silly little dances. They did this with uh, Seb Stan and Anthony Mackie as well. That uh, one of their things is that they just do a little dance to Rasputin. This is meant to be a relatively serious drama about American imperialism. Uh, okay, you're right. You're right. Yeah. However, I need to see them dance to Rasputin because when? <sighs> when did that happen? Oh, look, you can, you, can, you can look it up. It's just that nobody gave a shit. How did you find the episode, Kim? Huh. I have mixed feelings about this episode. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it had a lot of really good stuff in it, and I really liked the beginning and the end a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. I, I did a literal mm-hmm. gasp and just sat there like, oh, through the credits. It was very, very good. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose very, very good is not... Um, it's only it's one way you could describe that ending, but as a piece uh-huh. of TV, I think it was very good. Uh, yes, the rest of yes. it was a bit was a bit disjointed, in my opinion. Like I don't think it held together very well. It just felt kind of like yeah. this thing happened, and then that thing happened, and then another thing happened. Which incidentally is also how 
I yeah. write plot, so maybe I shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, to quote Ready Player One, people who live in glass houses should shut the fuck up. <laughs> Stream Reading Player uh, One. Yeah. Now available. Yeah. Yeah, yes, Street Reading Player One, now available. I wasn't going to say it, so thanks for saying it. Uh, <laughs> giving welcome. me permission. Oh my goodness. Uh, I think this suffers from the thing that I knew it was going to suffer from, where you make a TV show, but actually you're making a six-hour movie, because that's bad, because like that just means that the individual episodes don't have their own tones. They realized that a cliffhanger was important, and they put it in. But aside from yes. that, there's just... Um... Just nothing. It's just a lot of stuff happens. And all of it is pretty decent, interesting stuff. Um, yes. Some bits of it a lot more interesting than others, and I like those bits a lot. But yes. nothing actually like goes down in any kind of discreet sort of way, uh, which is quite unfortunate. <laughs> so, speaking of... As an example of something that you did not find interesting, what's your issue with the power broker stuff? Who cares about the power broker is my first issue with the power broker stuff. I mean, who, who is, who are they? Um, why do I care about them? Who are they related to in terms of plot? Who are they related to in terms of theme? Why the hell do they live in Majipur? <laughs> so we have to keep thinking about that stupid place. Yeah, it's, it's a very half-hearted mystery box, I think. Yes. Now, having said that, it is a mystery box all the same, so who do you think the power broker is going to turn out to be, if anyone? Well, um, I saw someone saying it could be Sharon, which I think would be very cool. Uh, but would make absolutely no sense with um, what we've seen so far. I yes. think the most interesting idea that I have for who the power broker could be is that it is somehow related to the U.S. government and or military. So it's I was like going to say the same thing, yes. The power broker is the CIA, basically. In the comics, he's a guy named Curtis Jackson. Uh, but the way they're building it up, the way they're playing coy about who the power broker actually is, I fully expect that it will be a particular character. And I do think it would make the most sense for it to be a representative of American military power. It's someone who's been installed by the CIA to destabilize Madripoor, but it mm. will probably just end up being Sharon. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, what What if Sharon is a member of the CIA that has been planned to destabilize Madripoor? And she's just been lying about being anti-patriotic? I think that would be disappointing as this well. This whole time? Yeah. This would all be very disappointing. Uh, what are other ideas you might have? It's Rhodey. It's just Rhodey. Uh, yeah, that occurred to me. I think that would not play off well against I think what Rhodey suck, was. But... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever, right? Rhodey's evil now. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't have unfortunate implications at all. It doesn't. Uh... It's Steve. <laughs> it's Steve. <laughs> it's Howard the Duck. Uh, it's fucking. <laughs> it's the ghost of Howard Stark. Oh God, he he just shows up in like the ever in the po political thriller context, and he's, and and it's, it's, it sounds like what the hell, and he's just like, 
You're out of luck until you've had <laughs> duck. Ah! Uh, the power broker is the red skull. The, the God damn. He's back from space, back from the woman murder cliff. <laughs> the power broker is Natasha back from the dead. God, sure, whatever. And then it's going to lead into Black Widow in theaters July, maybe? I think this entire discussion has been more interesting to me than the Power Broker storyline has been. I think we should give some context to why we are structuring the episode this way. So, um, I know you were the one who came in with the comment that one thing that you really liked about this episode was how, instead of having two sides, you have, like... What is it? Five, six, something like that. Factions? You have a bunch of different. You have a bunch of different characters who want different things, and that's yes. what the show actually is. And that contributes a great deal to the sense that this actually is a story about morally gray stuff. With that isn't yeah. trying to be completely didactic about what the right answer is in a sort of the good yeah, guy yeah. is right and the bad guy is wrong, or even the bad guy is right and the good guy is wrong. Uh, yeah. And I think that becomes most clear when Zemo and Carly Morgenthau, both of whom are villains in the mold of, oh, you can kind of see their point, mm. start trying to kill each other because they're also opposed to one another. Because it's not just like there's one issue in contention here and everyone's arguing over that one thing. Although yeah. that scene also shows that the show has a great deal of thematic unity because like, you have Zemo in play, you have Carly in play, and you have John Walker in play, who comes in just uh, just a minute after. And what they're all ultimately after is not only the super serum, but what that concept of, like, what pop culture has made of the Nietzschean Ubermensch. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. the, the idea, the you know, a superhero. Who gets to be Superman is the big question in this episode, I think. Um... Which, considering I just said it was very weird and disconnected, that thematically speaking, it is pretty good. Um, and I think plot the whole Wakandan so thing, yeah, plot speaking, like not at all. Uh, they show up for like two, like the Dora Milaje just show up for two scenes, and they beat some people up, and then they disappear, <laughs> and it's great. Shut yeah. up, fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But in terms of theme and character work, I think it's really interesting to have them here because I know, as you pointed out, Lofus, um. Bucky does have a very strong connection to Wakanda in general. Um, yes. And so does Zemo. This is the first time we actually, we're actually shown that Bucky has a strong connection to Wakanda, other than like yeah. a post credit scene in Black Panther. This is the first yeah, time yeah. that something substantial is done with that and the beat is earned. So now it's not just like, frankly, a weird hiccup in this sequence of events that has happened to Bucky <laughs> Barnes. It's actually, like, part of the dramaturgy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love what they do with the idea of him being there and being free. And I know he mentions it in the first episode where he talks to his therapist and says, you know, I had some, I had some peace in Wakanda. And it, in the opening yes. of this episode, we kind of see yes. what that looked like. Like, the really affecting scene right at the beginning where yes. he's sitting with, was it Ayo? It's the same one, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and who's uh, trying out the trigger words on him, and it turns out that yeah. it doesn't work. And he has this, just like, he's breaking down, and she's telling him, you know, you're free. And it's yeah. all very beautiful, like, he's got the depression hair, and he's sitting around a campfire, yeah. and they're just, like, sort yeah. of having a moment. Um, yeah. Seb is and, yeah. fantastic in that scene, oh, I think. 
such a good scene. I I'm like, gonna watch it again. So much of the so much of Bucky's whole deal and the performance that Seb gives as Bucky is like a kind of understated sadness, like yeah. the big mournful eyes and stuff. So it's uh this this was a moment moment of emotional climax that's kind of been coming since uh on and off since twenty fourteen, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they do really have... I mean, they put in a lot of bits from the other movies, which I found really cool. I yes. think this one scene does more to sort of, like, unify Bucky's entire character arc than any of Captain America fandom people were probably expecting ever to happen ever again. I mean, it retroactively makes the whole Civil War thing actually feel, like, character-driven. We know yeah. it isn't, but that yeah, one bit where... Yeah, where they tie up this, the whole like trigger ward, the trigger ward subplot from um, yeah. Civil War, plus all the bits where like Bucky's killing Tony's parents, and then mm-hmm. intercutting that with you know like the the climactic scenes from Winter Soldier, and all of it is just very yeah. good. Um, yeah. Thank you to whoever the fan vidder is who suggested this <laughs> in the edit. <laughs> You're a genius. Yeah, yeah. Despite um, myself, yeah. I did catch myself thinking, wow, they just kind of made the gift set for us. <laughs> yes, they did! They sure uh, did. It's, it's brilliant. Um, and, you know, what I find interesting about that is you get an immediate contrast between um, Io telling Bucky that he's free, and then in the present yes. day, her asking him, yeah. why did you free Zemo? And that coupled yes. with a scene later on where like Bucky gets literally disarmed because... Yeah. Someone just yeah. dislocates his Wakandan vibranium yeah. arm. Yeah. Yeah, and this was the thing that you said. Like, this is your... We gave you your freedom. What have you done with it? Yeah, we gave you your freedom. We gave you peace and a home. And we gave you an arm. And you have yes. decided to do this with the things that you've been given. Um, yeah. And that ties really quite beautifully and tragically in with the whole concept of exceptionalism of being gifted of like having power and the repeated Mm -hmm. thing that they say throughout this episode is that like people who have power will not be able to use it you know it's a whole basic power corrupts kind of thing but i think it's not so much that power corrupts as like power is inherently wasted on the people who are given who who get it and this is a sort of much softer kind of thing in bucky's case than in the rest of the episode but you do definitely get the sense of like he's disappointing people that he looks up to and cares about. Um, yes. Which, you know, <laughs> fantastic, wonderful. Love that. Fantastic, wonderful. Great. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> now, one of the main people arg- arguing that uh, power, power corrupts and that power is wasted on the people that it's given to is Zemo. Yeah. Our... our our villain who seems to be right about everything. How yes. do you feel about Zemo? Um, he's so interesting. And it's really, like, mm. it's not so much that I think he's right about everything, it's that everything he says makes me go, do I agree with that or not? <laughs> Which I personally find yeah. even more interesting, because I, like, I'm quite mm. a... I have a lot of very strongly held beliefs, um, which is both a good and bad thing, I think. And I go into a lot of media going, I agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think that that character's right and that character's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. 
And with Zemo, it's not so much that his morality is grey and sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. It's that he will say these things and you'll be like, huh. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, is that right? It could be. Uh, can you um, give an his, example of such a thing? Yeah, yeah. So um, his big quote from this episode is, when talking about Kali Morgenthal, she's a supremacist. The desire to become a superhuman is inherently entwined with supremacist ideals. Um, and basically the idea that anybody who wants that much power must want it so that they can be better than everyone else. And that everyone else has to bow down to them because they are better. Um, if you work out, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> basically, sure. Fuck yourself, too. Yeah, I, like, you know, I can see the logic, but I feel like, come on, like, all the super serum does is make you jacked. (laughs) Yeah, not, well, okay, um, I find it really interesting that, first of all, Zemo says this, you know, Baron Mm -hmm. Zemo, (laughs) he has a private plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As if he's a fucking work. Yeah, fucking as if he's fucking working class or something. (laughs) Um, but also like the immediate counter is the serum doesn't corrupt everybody. There was Steve, and this is so fascinating to me because on the one Mm. hand, like yes, Steve is great, and we all love Steve. Like I love Steve. Um, Mm. and I think we're supposed to buy that Steve is is a good example of someone who took the super serum and is like. A great guy. Um, But if you think about Steve's actions throughout the time that we've known him, the argument that Steve is a supremacist, not necessarily a white supremacist or anything, but just like a man who believes in exceptionalism and in special powers for those who are exceptional and in like Mm. heightened levels of duty and responsibility and therefore power of people who Mm. have the muscles to back it up. Like that... Mm -hmm is the plot of Civil War. Yeah, like, it's tricky, because in the first Captain America movie, we are straightforwardly supposed to believe that Steve is a good boy, and that's why he was given his superpowers by the American military, because he's a good boy, and he'll use them Uh good. Uh, And in the second movie, uh, it's like he's stepped out of what he viewed as... I think it's useful to think about this more in terms of like stepping out of one movie, one kind of movie and into another kind of movie where like mm. he used to live in a black and white morality world and he stepped in and now he's in a morally gray world and sure. uh, he didn't know how to deal with that. And then in yeah. the third movie, he's a philosopher king. Okay. So, you know, like the supremacist arguments and the idea that he... Steve Rogers is a good boy that never did anything wrong. This is something that slides about a good bit within the movies themselves. And yeah. even and even though you can kind of draw a line of continuity from First Avenger to Civil War, it's treated in a very different way. In yeah, the sense yeah. that the first one is directed by the guy who did Jumanji. <laughs> and the third one is done by the guy who did Avengers Infinity War. So I don't think, like... I'm coming around to the opinion that the only thing that Zemo is really guilty of is just being a massive asshole and, you know, killing a guy. Which is not good, mind you. Yeah. 
but like as opposed to to most villains in movies, not not even counting comic book villains, like his main motivation is that he believes a defensible ideological position so strongly that he's willing to kill people to get it, and that's you know very sympathetic to me, frankly. Yeah, yeah, of course, I'd agree with you there. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Prince Philip. Moving on to sound Bucky, two men who have never killed anyone for their ideological positions. Oh, no, positions. no, no, no. Oh, never. I mean, okay, it yeah. is arguable that Bucky has never killed anyone for his ideological positions. Um, because, uh, he... <laughs> because he's killed a lot of people for someone else's ideological positions. Yeah, I'm sure he never killed anyone in the war. Uh, was that an ideological position, or was he just... Uh, I think his ideological position is that he thought Jenna Cohen was hot. <laughs> We've which, all been which, there. That's my ideology. <laughs> oh no. I mean his I feel as if maybe his ideological position during the war was very like get away from Steve and also me. Um but okay fine, <laughs> yes. You know. Sure, sure, he fought sure. the Nazis, that's fair enough. Uh yeah. where do you want to start with Sam and Bucky? We've talked about Bucky a bit. We've talked about Bucky a bit. Sam, you said that uh, in DMs to me that Sam really comes into his own in this episode. I think it's interesting that Sam has his main big scene in this episode, which is a good faith conversation with Carly Morgenthau trying to get her to stand down. And I think this is interesting because usually I don't like this kind of scene because I think it trends towards the kind of Aaron Sorkin <laughs> particular kind of liberal power fantasy about winning an argument that I think I think the example of this that you and most of our listeners will best understand is the Zygon inversion speech from Doctor Who, where Peter Capaldi yes. gives a wonderful performance on a speech that is pretty objectionable. Both in terms of I love in the ideology, yeah. I love that scene a lot, but it uh, does not age well. It does not <laughs> age well, and what what yeah. I object to is not so much the ideology espoused, which is f- frankly not very clear, since it kind of skates between like being anti-war and being anti-doing literally anything at all, or at least anti-direct action. This scene with Sam and Carly could have been that, but it did not come off as that. It came off as, like, he Sam is trying to meet Carly where it's at. And it's a lot to do with the way it's framed. Because, like I said, the Aaron Sorkin way of writing this is that it's a power fantasy about winning an argument. It's about this yeah. idea of, oh, well, there are extremists out there, and it's scary to think that you could you would not be able to reason with people. But what if you could? And like that just sort of assages anxieties about there are people out there who you can't reason with. Or God forbid that there are people that you think are extremists, but actually they're the ones that are in the right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I think that uh, it does a good job of showing showing with some specificity not, not I think, quite enough, but some specificity uh, how and why Carly has gone too far with that while treating her position 
as having integrity. Yeah. I think the thing that really got me about this conversation um, and mm-hmm. why I think it works better than a lot of these um, similar ones is that it felt a lot to me like Sam was... I mean, I know Sam says, like, I agree with you. I agree with your cause. I just don't like the way that you're going about it. Um, yes. But having seen where Sam was three episodes ago and his process mm-hmm. of coming around to this position, it's not mm-hmm. just that we get growth for Sam, but we also see like him slowly co- being converted to this cause. Because like, if you're yes. given that on face value, it is sort of a liberal fantasy thing to be like, well, I like what you're doing, I just don't like how you're doing it. Um, yeah. Although to be fair, I kind of am on Sam's side in this, I just don't think that blowing people up is good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going helps. to talk about that in a little while. Um, yeah, yeah. But also like, But knowing that Sam began in a place of, I don't like these people, I don't know what they're doing, like, screw the flag smashers, let's go beat them up. I mean, that's that's very, you know, very very reductive, but, like, still. To a point where he's, like, actually, just to be honest with you, like, I think that you're right, and that everything you're doing other than the murder is right. And, like, and when she says to him, you know the people that I'm fighting are trying to take away your home. Why are you here with me instead of stopping them? He just goes, my sister is also waiting for an answer to that question. Like, he's got nothing to say to her. She's correct. Yeah. And yeah, he yeah, knows yeah. that. Although, um, speaking of the sister, I think it's yeah. interesting that uh, the sister was, at least briefly, they kind of pulled out of the punch on this, but at least briefly reduced to the role of, like, someone's holding a gun to her head and uh, Sam's got to save her. Uh, and I think yeah. <laughs> that that wrote me the wrong way since, like, you know, since it kind of, the plot actually kicked into gear, she hasn't actually figured in it. And I think that's an yeah, issue of, of, like, th- yeah, the the black woman is in the plot j- to be, like, the black guy main character's moral chain and, like, represent yeah, yeah. stuff. So, like, I think yeah. that's one aspect in which... This show seems to be, like, uh, not quite living up to its potential. How great is the line, my world doesn't matter to America, so why should I care about its mascot? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Thanks, Sarah. Mm. They keep talking about destroying the shield. I wonder if that's going to happen. They do. Yeah. Honestly, I'd be all for it. Um, Maybe that's why they brought Wakanda in. Maybe that's why they brought the Wakandans in, because they, they'll repossess the, the vibranium. They'll just be like, it belongs to us now. I was talking to my friend Lynette about this, um, and she said that she read somewhere, and like this is one of those, you know, oh, I read a take and I really like it kind of situations. Um, yes. She said she'd like to see it sort of devolve into like a Mordor-like quest to chuck the shield into a Wakandan volcano. So they just yeah. march their way into Wakanda and then drop it down in there. Yeah, it's and like Sam's going to like a great deal of difficulty uh, and like expense to do all this, and Zemo's like, yeah. uh, you know, the shield is purely symbolic. It, it, it's it's not imbued with magical powers or anything. You can just you can just put it in a closet somewhere, and it sounds like no, it's got to happen. <laughs> and one of them's uh, even called Sam. Bucky can be Frodo, traumatized by where he's been. <laughs> Kind of got like long, nice hair. Yeah, yeah, and Sam can be Sam. He's got nice eyes. I'm getting sidetracked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do we have anything else to say about Sam and Bucky? Um, 
Hmm. Uh, in our lives, yes, but I oh, think we're, I think I think we're good for now. I I do want to point out how glad I am that Sam's therapist thing has come back. I remember I think I can't remember if it was yes. last episode. No, it was episode two where we were like yes. bitching and moaning about how everyone has forgotten that Sam used to be a therapist. And then yeah, in this and one, then he's it comes just like, up and it's just like, oh wow, what yeah. a gift! <laughs> in this one, he's like, I used to be a therapist. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did, my yep. baby. Is it okay if I talk about Carly? Please go on. Please okay. do. Okay. Cool. Is it okay if, by way of talking about Carly, I talk about some stuff that has happened in Ireland in the last week or so? Yeah. I don't know if... I don't know if this news has filtered through to Singapore. Have you heard about Belfast as the goings-on? Shit, no. No, I haven't. Uh, I'm looking this up now. Okay, well, disclaimer that I'm not a journalist, this is a Marvel podcast, I may get some things wrong, but I've tried not to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and like I do have notes written out here, so I'll be working off those a little bit as well. So starting in on Saturday of last week, just the day after we recorded the last episodes, there has been violence on the streets of Belfast in the way that there used to be. Mainly, right. though not exclusively, it has been teenagers who have been attacking the police with stones and fireworks and sometimes with fireworks and, I said fireworks, petrol bombs. Some of, some of these kids are as young as 12 and they've been spurred on like through WhatsApp groups and stuff like that by, according to the journal, by criminal gangs. And there's no single cause for all this. Uh... There, because there's a lot of stuff going on, like it's it's a whole context. Like there's a lack of opportunities for employment. There's problems mm-hmm. with the education system up there. There's a lot of uh, propaganda. There's a lot of influence that the paramilitary organizations still have. Uh, but the main motive, as far as we can tell, is unionism, also sometimes known as loyalism, which is the position that Northern right. Ireland should stay in the UK. And uh, this is all being provoked, like many things have been provoked, by Brexit. And it's something that, you know, everyone kind of fucking saw coming as soon as the vo- it was put to a vote. And it's something that a lot of people, politicians and leave voters alike who live in England, just sort of fucking ignores because they don't pay attention to Northern Ireland or think about it very often. Uh, in the In the vote... Back in 2016, Northern Ireland voted to remain in the EU, but the overall yeah. UK did, of course, vote to leave. So Northern Ireland had to leave. And since then, the anxiety has been to avoid a hard border, especially for the delivery of goods, because mm. that would bring back the troubles. And it's been a question of, like, if Northern Ireland is out of the EU, but the Republic of Ireland is in the EU, but you don't want a hard border, how do you figure that out? And there have been lots of bullshit nonsense solutions, like a border in the in the sea somewhere. And these, yeah, these efforts to keep the border soft, so to speak, have been redoubles now that we need to move the COVID vaccines from place to place. And uh, yes, of course. Yeah, and I'm not going to go into the trade routes because, frankly, I don't know too much about it. But like, it's it's a whole thing that's been going on for years now, trying to figure this out. But in light of the COVID, va- COVID vaccines and measures taken regarding that in particular, that has been the main provocation of the unionist violence 
the gangs that are provoking this are strongly objecting to the idea that there wouldn't be a hard border between the North and the Republic. And from there, they've been spurring on a lot of people of all ages, but mostly teenagers. And, and it's... <laughs> And it's not the first time that uh, unionists have used miners as, if, if I can speak honestly, cannon fodder. And right. if you want to know more, yeah, if you want to know more about this, I'd recommend reading about it on RTE, which is the Irish national broadcaster. And like for their failures, they are reporting on it uh, with some frequency, unlike the English media, because the English media have not exactly hushed this up, but they just didn't give a shit for ages. Like, it was going on for six days and six nights before they reported on it, because, you know, it's a story about failures of the English government. Right Now, right. I bring all of this up because the issues in play here are not the same, but they are adjacent to the issues that Falcon as the Winter Soldier is trying to talk about. Oh, yeah, you're right. Ultimately, this show is about America and the American context. It's mm. it, it's like this James Bond-style globetrotting adventure, and it's about American imperialism. So even the bits that aren't in America, which by now is most of it, are still about America. It's essentially Captain America 4. Carly's whole deal consistently evokes borders and being opposed to borders and being anti-patriotism, but the show, mm. I think, and I'm open to being disagreed with here, I think it's still struggling to be completely clear about exactly what it is that that she means and what it is that she's fighting for. It's clearly being presented and quoted as being opposed to American imperialism and military meddlement in some substantial way, and I think it's communicating that emotional core very well. But when it comes to the nitty-gritty of the ideology, it's all kind of tied up in, like, the blip, which is bullshit. And I kind of get a little bit lost. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just failing to keep track. But that's where I'm at with it. Honestly, the way that she talks about open borders and a borderless society evokes very strongly both the ongoing refugee crisis and just the sort of like, I mean, this is a very post-Brexit kind of story because what she says is, after everyone disappeared, we were all welcomed into countries regardless of the borders so when we had mm -hmm. when we decided we wanted to leave where we were and we wanted to go somewhere we were welcomed with open arms people took us in we helped them rebuild their countries we helped them build houses build roads rebuild society and now that all of these other people are back they've decided they don't need us anymore and have thrown us out of our homes and onto the street and decided that we need to get out of their country um yeah that is very much an immigration story i think yeah and i think it's less tied up in i mean you're right that the show itself is about america and that there is a yeah. lot of like tension between carly and american imperialists so there's like that in there yeah. but yeah. i think the flag smashers are fundamentally a pro open border pro pro open border organization in the way that like current leftists are a pro open border organization Yes. Um, and and specifically, it's a borders thing. It's not like they're not just generally anti-fascist or anything. They're like, we believe yeah. in freedom of movement. We believe in free migration, and we believe in people yes. caring for one another, regardless of which country they come from. Um, yeah. And that's that's very much an EU kind of. I mean, I'm not saying that that is the EU, but that's the conversation that's 
being held around the EU and the concept of open borders and free movement yes. of people and goods and also like the migrants among us who are banging down our doors, you know, um, yeah. more than it is an American question, I think, necessarily. Okay, yeah, that that's, yeah, yeah. that's really interesting and that's really insightful. <laughs> You're very cool and good and smart. Uh, yeah, that, Thank that, you, so are you. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, no, that, I think that all makes a little bit more sense to me uh, when yeah. you put it that way. But yeah, I do think that Carly's whole deal is kind of coming into a different context for me personally. Now that uh, there, there's a there's a lot of stuff going down reasonably close to where I live about uh, <laughs> like borders or lack thereof, and like mm. uh, young people getting viol- violent with it. Yeah, yeah. So, and while I don't think any of that makes it offensive, I think it it kind of my knee-jerk reaction to it, and maybe this is fair and maybe it isn't, is, is just as, is, is like, oh, this Carly Morgenthau carry-on is just Baby Bones version of stuff that's going on. But then, like, I suppose it was always going to be. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, like, the fact that she sounds Irish has something to do with it. <laughs> oh, she does have red hair. <laughs> uh, that too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I find that really interesting, though. Do you? I wonder. I wonder how much of that was intended for. Because obviously, this show was shot well before any of this stuff happened. But then again, it's like we've known that it was going to happen since Brexit was voted on. Um, mm-hmm. I you... don't. Th- I don't think uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier fucking predicted it. I don't think anyone really. Uh, like you know, it's. It's not a situation where we thought, like, oh, this is inevitable now, because most people really don't fucking want it to happen. But, but yeah. like, the online conversations around these kind of things kind of trend toward uh, an American context, especially. And, like, look, we're, yeah, you yeah. know, we're, I'm from Ireland, you're from Singapore, and we're, we're doing a podcast about the spin-off TV show of Captain yeah. America because we both care about uh, the Captain America <laughs> movies so much. Like, uh, American influence is all over the map. Uh, but And, like, yeah, the yeah. American leftist way of talking about this because of that particular context is ACAB, which, sure, and that when you hear that teenagers are getting violence against the police, then I think that when I did that out in my notes, I I thought, oh no, I have to explain why this is bad. Right, right. <laughs> like teenagers bashing on the constabulary. And like <laughs> when this was tweeted out by, uh, I believe, Andy No, uh, people in his mentions, which like right wing chud types, were kind of being like, yeah, the IRA are going to show those namby pamby Antifa how it's really done. And it's just like. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! Oh god! Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, just like a weirdo yeah. nerd Americans supporting the IRA, but specifically because they think they're chads. Oh my god! Or that it's traditional masculinity. It's just like, no, uh. that's bullshit. Uh, and while I understand that in different. Uh, political context, there's much less stigma around uh, political violence. In an Irish context, when you hear 
that uh, someone has thrown a petrol bomb at a police officer, your only reaction is probably going to be, oh, shit, oh, fuck, not this again. Right, right. No, that's totally understandable. I I see what you mean. I think this puts in context, in an interesting context, the extent to which, like, Kali is once again being set up as a really cool figure by the show that is consistently refusing to make us dislike her in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, look, it's it's a fucking Marvel movie, and again, I don't think that... I don't think that any of this has been made offensive. I think it's just suddenly being plunged into a very different context that most of the audience isn't going to pay attention to or know very much about. But like, that's very much going to be the context for me personally. Like, no, that's, and yeah. like again, it is notable that like while it's along similar issues, she's on the opposite side to what I suppose the Unionists would be in Avengers Land. Right. Of course. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, like, the idea of, of Kali as a very moral figure continues to be, I wouldn't say bad or weird in that way, like, I, oh no, okay, I like it a lot, I think it's great, it is just mm-hmm. so, I should, this is episode four, I should get over the fact that yes. they, like, the show likes her this much, but I'm just very, like, hmm, there is a bit where her friend literally says yeah. to her, I didn't think that there could be another Captain America, and then I met you. <laughs> and then I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a remarkable moment. Yeah, uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. And the fact that she follows yeah. that up by saying there shouldn't be a Captain America, that S.H.I.E.L.D. represents yes. all the people who were forgotten by history and it ought to be destroyed. Um, yeah. Which is exactly what Sam said in the previous episode. I'm here like, oh, well. Wow. <laughs> she's right. <laughs> and also... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God. But all the same, like, it is very down on her violent methods. To the point that the violent methods, sure. I think I was, like, almost a little bit nice about that scene uh, last week, because reflecting on it more and seeing other people talk about it a little bit, I do feel like you could reasonably accuse it of being, like, uh, th- this person started out right, and uh, but we need them to be a bad guy, so they're going to blow something up now. Uh, and and the thing is, I do, and this is not exactly a defense of the show, but it is all the same worth noting that if you want to figure out who is in the right in a sectarian conflict, you don't necessarily want to answer that with the answer to the question, who was right at the start. That's true, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think there is something to be said for, like, a person being sympathetic and going quote unquote too far, um, and yes. that not in any way compromising the value of the things that they stand for. As Sam says to Carly, I just wish you would stop killing people, but that doesn't yeah. make her argument invalid. Like the fact that she's blown yes. some people up doesn't mean that she's wrong. It just means she yeah. really needs to not blow people up anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I really wanted to mention about Kali in relation to her place as, like, a moral good figure is um, her parallel not just to Steve or, like, to Captain America as an ideal in general, um, mm-hmm. but the bit where she's giving a eulogy for uh, her mother figure, which is, by the way, a really yes. beautiful and very sad moment. Yes. Um, yes. 
And it goes from this really beautiful, heartfelt, like, I remember this person and I love her very much thing to her being like, you know, she believed in this and like she believed in a world where we cared for one another. Uh, so go out and live accordingly. And it's very, it's a very rousing political speech, which is in itself beautiful. But it also reminded me really powerfully of Sharon's fabulous plant yourself like a tree speech um, yes. when eulogizing Peggy during the Civil War movie. Yeah, which, which was, of course, from the comics originally. Yeah, which is, which is of course, I think, uh, Peggy's speech from the comics. Oh, no, no, it's not. It's, a, it's yes. just a Sharon's speech from the comics. Or Steve's speech? Yeah. It's from the comics. God, Someone sorry. said it. Someone said it, which makes it even more powerful. Um, and wow. Then, you know, for, <laughs> for all that we're not... I'm not going to be like, Sharon is the moral voice of the MCU, because she's really not. Yeah, not uh, at this point. Uh, but that one scene was great in that movie in the same way that this scene is great in the show. And I think that that scene is very much a voice of moral authority kind of scene. Yes. Where Sharon yes. is being the proxy for Peggy, who is actually a moral voice in the MCU. Yes. And giving a really good speech about like what this person believed and how you can apply it to your life that drives the whole plot forward, as yes. does Kali in this scene. Do we want to talk about John Walker? Do we want to talk about John Walker? Well, I didn't think there could be another Captain America. <laughs> then I met him. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, America's <laughs> Widows were very pro-John Walker. Blood on no. the shield. That's cool. Dark. Edgy. No. Love it. Oh, no. All right. Let's talk about our friend Johnny Walker. Whoopsie doopsie. Uh, looking good, John. <laughs> Look, <laughs> looking, t- looking strong. <laughs> In the argument of whether being a superhuman, uh, whether being a superhuman makes you a supremacist, we mm-hmm. have Bucky, Steve, Carly, yes. and now new Captain America. Yep. So, um, uh, not a great track record, all in all. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think. I think, not to circle around to someone else, but I think a very revealing moment in all of this is that uh, Bucky makes the point to Zemo that power never corrupted Steve, which is a very Bucky point of view, to be fair. As then Zemo says, well, there's never been another Steve Rogers. And then he looks to Sam. And that is partly making the point to Sam that, you know, John Walker is not another Steve Rogers, but I think it's also making the implication neither are you. Right, right. So don't take it, Sam. Don't you do it. Nobody gets to be Captain America. Into Mag Doom you go. <laughs> when we first meet him in this episode, he's not terribly interesting. He's just the regular, like, I've come to throw a spanner in the works guy. Um, yes. We are reminded quite quickly that he's an asshole. In yes. that while Bucky is trying to give Sam time to talk to Carly, he tries mm. to manipulate Bucky into breaking up the party by saying, um, "Your partner needs backup. Do you want his blood on his? Ha- Do you want his blood on your hands?" Which yeah, is a I... massively dickish thing to say to a person, especially to this guy. Go yeah, fuck and like you can see, you can see Bucky <laughs> falter, and like as yeah. ever, Se- Seb has a very subtle hand with these things. Oh, oh, let's. <laughs> Okay, before I get carried away, carry on! I think this episode does a really good job of balancing John Walker as increasingly a monster. Um, yeah. And Like I said, he's not being... shaving. Yeah. 
The bastard. Right. Um, but also him being quite a rounded human being and someone who's very, like, yes. very real. Like, he, we spend a lot of time with him just being the worst. And then yes. we, we turn around and he, like, hits us with emotional vulnerability and we're like, oh shit. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. Zemo says that anyone who would take the super serum is a supremacist. But right. I think what you're seeing with Zemo is, like, he's taking the super serum mostly out of a sense of insecurity that he's got right. to be Captain America, but he's not actually a superhero. He doesn't have the super strength, but if he gets it, then he does. And he actually can fulfill that role. And, uh, you know, yeah. it, it turns out he's right, I guess <laughs> he's strong and brave and he's here to, he is to be fair here to save the American way. <laughs> he is. Oh God. Um, I think it's especially interesting that it's sort of framed within the context of war crimes because his whole point is yeah. like, he says, you know, Captain America means something to me because I can finally do something that feels right, which is kind of interesting because yes. when you look at everything that he's done up to this point, you're like, oh my God, no, <laughs> this is all wrong. From the yeah. very beginning, it has been wrong. But to him, this feels like the right thing to do in direct contrast to the stuff that he did in Afghanistan, where it is heavily implied that he just did war crimes left and right. Um, and was rewarded for it by the US military, you know, and they gave yeah. him medals, and yeah. they gave him accolades, and he's a good soldier because he's a bad person. And for the first time in his life, he thinks, I'm going to be a good person, and so I should take this super serum and become yes. a super-powered asshole who smashes people in the face with Captain America's shield till they die. Uh. Yeah, which by the way, and I, I'm guessing that you noticed this, but that is a direct callback to the end of Civil War, where oh, like, shit. Steve always pulls the oh, same move on Tony. I forgot about, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and that, that's like Steve's big like downfall that he he almost got pushed to that place. But even Steve at the end pulled back from that, and like that's that's as much down to franchise mechanics as anything. That it's not time to kill off Iron Man yet. Oh no, but Steve but, wouldn't like, though. You know, is the point that they're trying Steve to Steve wouldn't I think. though, but he nearly did. Yeah, but, and it is notable he, I think yeah. at that point that that is the yeah. point at which he gives up being Captain America. You know, he drops the shield yes, and doesn't exactly. pick it back up for several years because he nearly killed his friend. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Because he nearly um, killed his friend and he knew that if he if he's in that place then he doesn't he he can't fulfill that mythic role to bring it back what yeah, to what he you were can't saying do it last and he doesn't episode. deserve it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a direct contrast between the actual person that John Walker is trying to essentially become and replace, that like Steve didn't do this. When near Steve nearly did this, he quit being Captain America, and meanwhile John Walker did do this, as that, to his mind, is the moment that he truly became Captain America. So yeah. you're, you're seeing like this mythic icon and character just get turned on its head and presented as the original thing. Yeah. Um, should we talk for a little bit? I know we're running out of time, but still... Um quite briefly about the thing that makes him do that and how we feel about that. I think it's bad. I think it's pretty dumb that they <laughs> killed off Lamar so that they could advance the white guy's character arc, and I think it's pretty dumb that Lamar didn't do anything in this show except offer emotional support for that same white guy. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, black guy dies first is a really bad trope, for one thing. It's bad in two very general... Like, first of all, killing off the black guy is, is a very racist trope that has happened a lot. And I think the fact mm-hmm. that Sam is a main character and is still very much not dead does buffer that a bit, uh, but it's yes. still not great, and I don't appreciate it. Um, I also think that killing off a sidekick so that the hero can go on a murderous rampage is also overdone and if if not yes. as problematic at least quite problematic um yeah i do uh, I, i'm getting think... the impression that hollywood thinks that going on a revenge quest is bad yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's come up once or twice yeah yeah like i do think that i this is defensible in a couple of ways not not necessarily good but like you know uh. um and the one way in which i find it interesting in within the sort of milieu of the Captain America myth mm-hmm. is that as we know Steve always went off the deep end when it came to Bucky who is obviously his That's psychic true. character um yeah. Steve has done all sorts of stupid shit because Bucky has been in danger yeah. or hurt or killed or you know whatever yeah. he he notably yeah. killed himself because Bucky died once um <laughs> and i think it is if that was the intention, and this does seem to be kind of where they're going with it, it is mm-hmm. interesting to see... It's sort of a compare-contrast thing, because on the one hand, we say, okay, John has killed a civilian because his best friend has died at battle, and Steve never did that, so John is worse than Steve. On the other hand, it sort of recontextualizes this whole, like, I'm going to kill the Red Skull and die in the attempt because my best friend is dead. You know, I'm going to take down the whole American military and die in the attempt because my best friend was brainwashed. And now I'm going to try and kill Tony Stark and maybe die in the attempt because... Uh, which is straightforwardly presented as heroic this whole time. Yeah, it's 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 a sign of good mental health. Yeah. You know, and, and up to this point, it's just been like, Steve loves Bucky so much, it's so great. You know, it's yeah. maybe not the best decision, but like, good for him. Very heterosexual of him, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, but when you hold it side by side up to John and Lamar, you're like, okay, maybe okay. he shouldn't have done that. Maybe this was always bad. You know, maybe this whole storyline was always a really bad one, and we should never have been enjoying it in the first place. Uh, I don't know. I, I no? take your point, but... No, like, hmm. Like, I, th- I think your point is a good point. It's just that I like the Stucky as a story. Like, whether or <laughs> no, not you think too. it's romantic. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think, ultimately, this is a universe in which everyone punches everyone in the face. So it may as well uh, be about... You know, regardless of whether or not you think it plausibly comes off as gay, it does, of course. But oh. regardless of whether you agree on that, it it is, like, essentially a story about two bros who just care very deeply about one another. And it has a very sincere and uh, well-executed emotional core. And, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, like, no, no, I, I, mean, yeah. I am more about that than I am about anything else. But uh, Oh, for sure. No, but I'm, yeah. not, I'm not talking about the, the specific, like, mechanics of devotion between Steve and Bucky or equivalents. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the very sort of machismo response yes. to grief or fear for the person that you care about the most. Yeah, um, that's fair. You know, it's not like, it's not like I'm going to, you know, my, my lover, best friend, sidekick, whatever, has died or is in trouble. And so I will he- help them and, I don't know put them up on my couch and take them to therapy while they heal from their decades of trauma. 
it's like mm-hmm. my best friend's dead and so I'm going to kill somebody. That's the the specific yeah. grief response of revenge or self-destruction um, yes. that I think is being picked up on here. And yeah, like yeah, I think yeah. whether or not you're willing to sit with the storyline depends on whether or not you feel like this is sig- like you know sufficiently deconstructive or whether it's just they're doing that again but it's bad yeah. now. Yeah, I think yeah, I hadn't really twigs that there's a parallel there and I think there I think there's some truth to that. Maybe mm. Lamar's going to get up again with a metal arm. He gets back. He gets knocked down, but he gets up again. He gets up again. You're you're never gonna keep Lamar down. He's he's a cool guy, and he deserved better. Yeah. Even if he did talk John into taking the super soldier serum, which was maybe not a great move. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't think of that, did you, Lamar? Now you're dead. No, <laughs> I'm victim blaming. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, um, on, and on that bombshell, will we wrap up? Okay, yeah. Uh, do you, I've got a couple of further comments. Do you? Uh, do you, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Um, getting through this quite quickly. First of all, lol at the vaguely child predator vibes coming off Zemo. Oh uh, my god, yeah. Not a fan of that. Like, I don't hate it. I'm just like, mm, this is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uncomfortable and it doesn't really go anywhere, but I don't dislike no. it either. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but the yeah. thing I found really interesting, not not related to this, is the repeated zoom zooming in on like the posters for the Global Resettlement Council, um, mm-hmm. with the words "reset, restore, rebuild" on them, mm-hmm. which I think is quite pointed, especially yeah. since in an era of COVID where we talk about going back to the to going back to normal. Yes. Um, and we even have like one of those like government speech clips where someone talks about fast-tracking the return to normalcy. And you think about the value of the normal versus the new and, like, why it might be that people might be willing to blow up buildings to prevent a return to the normal. Um, Yeah. Which I found really interesting, especially in this context. And I I love it when TV shows, like, anticipate a political context. Um, Yeah, it's a sin being, like, the number one recent example of that. Yeah, of course. Uh, also, finally, I just really love the credits um, in this one. Yes, yes. And how they just killed the music on the credits. Um, yeah. which, fantastic. Love that very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do love credits music that uh, undercut, that uh, highlights a downer ending, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's about it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, you can yeah. find me on Twitter at Loafers Rights. You can find my website at marklaherty.wordpress.com. You can find my Patreon at Loafers. You can hear my other podcast on there. It's called Reading Player One. It's with my friends Jesse and Sam, my married Ooh. lesbian Canadian friends, and we read Ready Player One. <laughs> uh, the t- <laughs> the team song of this podcast is By Me. And the art is by Carousel Unique. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Kimberly underscore Chu. Um, I'm on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash Chukayan. And on Patreon at patreon.com slash Chukayan, where you can now read my undergraduate dissertation uh, and pay me money to do this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> now, you have previously expressed a displeasure with my sign off so I'm just going to say (laughs) I don't want to suck Bucky's dick